Abundance of love, abundance of grace. Now to that cross, you took my place. Oh God, you paid my ransom. My ransom. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people. Now, here's Pastor Scott. Word in 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 25, the Bible says, David built an altar there to the Lord and sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings, and the Lord answered his prayer for the land, and the plague on Israel was stopped. I want to preach to you this morning from a sermon titled, It's Time for the Plague to Stop. Pray with me. God, thank you for your word. God, thank you for this time that you've given us to be in your presence, Father. And I pray right now, God, that you would anoint me to say the things that would honor you. God, I pray you fill me with your spirit and teach us from your word. God, I pray that you would help us to understand what your will for our life is in Jesus' name. Amen. Our theme for 2021, and listen, 2021, uh, and maybe it's just because I'm older, you're older too, but it seems like it's been the fastest moving year on two feet. It's it's almost half over, y'all. If you're still waiting for 2021 to kick in, it's about to kick out. Um, It's it's like people still 50, 60 years old wondering what they're going to be when they grow up. The, the, the uh, theme for 2021 is two words. I say it's two words. It's like a contraction and another word. Uh, what's, what's our theme for 2021? It's time. It's time for you to start being all that God called you to be. It's time for you to start doing all that God called you to do. It's time for us to get serious about advancing the kingdom of God. And I just burdened with this this week. Uh, in, in my own study of God's word, I just believe it's time for the plague to stop. Now, when I say plague, especially in 2021, especially right now, after what we've been through for almost a year and a half now, pe- people think about the plague on the land as being COVID-19, the coronavirus, uh, whatever you're calling it this week. Um, but that's not the only plague in the land. Plagues can be representative of things that aren't even physical, they could be internal. And so I want you to let God speak to you this morning about the plague in your own land. Maybe you're corona-free, maybe you're COVID-free, maybe you haven't been impacted by this virus, but there are lots of plagues, lots of hardships going on. Plagues represent difficulty, plagues represent struggle, plagues represent crisis, trauma, negative being negatively affected and we got a lot of plagues in the land we've got the coronavirus which is impacting the entire world we've got rising gas prices somebody with the push of a button shut down the gas line uh for this neck of the woods anybody run into any uh gas pumps that had bags across them this week i heard the story okay some all right all over the room uh hey i was telling the, the staff this morning the deacons and the elders we prayed together um Man, pray that this doesn't happen again because I know this for sure. I saw enough of it on YouTube this week. When people have to sit in gas lines, they get irritated. 
Man, you want to see some people going off. Google fights at gas pumps. Don't do that. Google the proverb of the day. Read that. But, but people get irritated, especially if you're 32 cars deep and, and you're below the empty and it's 98 degrees outside and your air condition half works. Y'all realize people start to get a little, a little itchy? People start to get a little sketchy, especially, and I've been there. I've been in gas lines. I'm old enough to remember when you had to buy gas uh, uh, according to your street address. Odd number days, even number days. Anybody remember that? You couldn't get gas on a Tuesday. You, you, you had to get gas on a Monday. But I, I'm old enough to remember gas problems and gas lines and, and the days of Jimmy Carter politics. I, I'm old enough to remember escalating prices and people get mad. I'm old enough to be sitting in a gas line where I was five deep, and they came out and went like this and put a bag over the thing. And everybody, you know, we, we're used to, if you get in line before it closes, they let you come on in. When the gas runs out, they don't like, they're not like, oh, everybody that's still in line, it didn't run out for you. No, when it runs out, it runs out. And, man, people, are they get upset, and it gets violent, and... There, there's rising gas prices, there's gas being shut down. The war in the Middle East is escalating at such a rate right now um, that it's almost unprecedented. Um, the, the amount of bombs that are being dropped, uh, the amount the lo loss of life has not been as drastic now as it has been in times, even though any life lost is too much. But uh, that's going on. We got Republicans fighting Democrats. We got Democrats fighting Republicans. Uh, I understand uh, that, that many of these things have to happen. The Bible says these things must happen before the end of time. But I want there to be love inside the body of Christ. Now, if you're sitting in a car with no air conditioning and it's 99 degrees outside and you're 32 deep um, and, and the person up in front of you didn't move up. How many of y'all know some of y'all, if the person in front of you uh, doesn't move up when there's a gap, you figure they put that horn there for a reason. Right. is like, that's me. I will honk at you. Please, as somebody, as somebody who's got some PTSD, as somebody who, 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 who's got some, some, some rage that God's still dealing with, do not honk your horn at me longer than one one-thousandth of a second. Beep. Give me a beep. That's all I need. Beep, beep. If, 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 if you feel aggressive. And Oh, man, the door's coming open. This is happening. Uh, ho hopefully not. But be easy on How many of y'all don't like to be? Yeah, anybody besides me? Okay, that's aggressive, man. There's crazy people out there. You take your life in your own hand. J J Jimmy will let them know. Hey, better, y'all better not honk at Big Jimmy like that. Beep, beep. Oh, you going to be that? <laughs> hey, it, it takes all kinds. But I want there to be love inside the body of Christ. I want there to be love inside the body of Christ. And the Bible says that we are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. It, it, nowhere in the Bible does it tell us what, what political party we have to vote for. Listen, some people like sweet tea. Some people, I don't know why I like unsweet tea. It makes no sense to me, but it takes all kinds, and God has all kinds of people in his family. Amen? Red, yellow, black, white, independents, Republicans, Democrats, whatever. But here's the reality. As these things begin to heat up, battle lines get drawn. 
I, I, I saw Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez this week and Il, Ilhan Omar conflate, confuse, and, and, and just totally fabricate that to say everybody that stands against victimization and oppression must side with Palestine. And then she said, because Jews are white people who are oppressing people of color. And I'm thinking, Jews ain't white people. What kind of world are you living in? And people over there are brown. They're brown. Now, when in 1948, when Israel uh, reconstituted itself as a nation and, and people went back to Israel from all over the world, some of them had, had settled in Germany. Some, some of them had settled in Austria. Some of them had settled in, in different places, and, and, and they lightened up. But let me tell you this. Anybody that's confused that thinks the Jewish Jesus was white, the Jewish Jesus was dark brown. One person said amen, and he's the whitest guy in the room. <laughs> the majority of people uh, that live in Jerusalem today come from Arabic nations, and they are as, as brown. Wave it, everybody, Cheryl. They're as brown as Cheryl. They, they Wave it, everybody, Miss Irene. They look like Miss Irene. Go wave it, everybody. Wave. I'll tell you four times. <laughs> To stand up and to try to use the racial tension in America, and there's lots of reasons for racial tension in America, but to try to turn that into, to say that what Jews are doing to Palestinians is the same thing that, that white skinhead Nazis are doing to people of color, that, that's, that's ridiculous and that's foolish. Jewish people are not oppressors because they're asking the people on their land to leave that aren't supposed to be there to begin with. If you're on my property and I tell you to leave, I'm not a colonizer or an oppressor. I'm just protecting my own land. Mm, let me keep moving because some of y'all not going to get it. We live in a time, in the first time in the history of our country, where commitment to Israel is being politicized. God already promised he'll bless those that bless the nation of Israel, and he will curse those that curse the nation of Israel. He will stand with those who stand with Israel, and he will oppose those who oppose Israel. I don't care how you vote in an election. I don't care what political party you stand with. I've made that clear from day one. We, we're not going to divide over politics at Abundant Life Christian Fellowship. We're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus, not by how we vote in political uh, elections. But we must as Christians, stand with the nation of Israel. We must, as Christians, pray for the peace in Jerusalem. We must, as Christians, side with God's. This is not politics, y'all. This is the Bible. And, and we, we've got to. Don't, don't let your favorite politician make you think that if you support BLM, you've got to support Palestine. Ilhan Omar said you can't support BLM unless you support Palestine. And I'm thinking, okay, now how are you going to try to take American politics and position people uh, against the, the nation of Israel? Anyway, I'm going to get off that and I'm going to get into the message today. But that's the, one of the plagues in our land is, is this thing going on in the Middle East. And I believe that there's a war in the media that wants to separate people in America. They want to divide us because when we're divided, we can be conquered. The Bible says there's strength 
in unity. God blesses unity. The, the Bible says that the place of unity is the place where God commands the blessing. And if the place of unity is the place where God commands the blessing, the devil don't want that. God wants unity. The devil wants division. So I'm asking you today, if you call yourself a Christian, I'm asking you today, if you're a saved individual, no matter what your politics are, no, no matter what your, 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 your different inclination might be, I'm asking you to choose love, to choose peace, to choose unity, and for God's sake, choose to support the nation of Israel because God, listen, here I'll tell you what I told the staff. Wouldn't it be smart if you know which side is going to win, get on the winning team? If you don't hear anything I've got to say today, hear this well. Israel wins. Always and forever, Israel wins. They're small. They're tiny. They're the minority. They're oppressed. They, they, they've been drugged through for, for centuries. But, but hear me when I tell you this. Israel wins because God says they win. Pray for the peace. And lots of different things going on. I want there to be love inside the body of Christ. Listen, the more thing, one, one, one smart person said, the more things change, the more they stay the same. There's always going to be issues. There's always going to be problems. There's always going to be this, this push and pull. But the Bible has so much to tell us about modern events by looking at at the past, uh, and we're going to look at this passage in 2 Samuel chapter 24 today. Let me just give you a little backdrop. David is coming to the end of his life. Now, the Bible says David was a man after God's own heart. The Bible says David was a man upon whom the Spirit never left. Now, that's key in the Old Testament because in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit did not indwell believers the way the Holy Spirit indwells believers today. If you study the Gospels, you'll read that Jesus told his followers that I'm going away, but God will send another to comfort you, and he will be with you as I have been with you, but he will also be in you. New, New Testament believers, believers now in this day and time, once you get saved, the Bible says God's Spirit comes to live inside you. In the Old Testament, it wasn't that way. The Holy Spirit had not come. Pentecost had not happened yet. And the Scripture says that the Spirit would move on this man, this woman. They would sit down on this man or this woman and then depart. David was different. David, was, David had the Spirit of God come on him and resided on him. David is a great example of a serious, committed, worshiping follower of Jesus Christ, but he's also a great example of a failure. People don't want to understand it. David was a scoundrel, and, and, and I'm thankful. People, if you ever wondered, why does God show the dirt on his best people? Look, look at all the heroes. Look, read, read, read Hebrews, the Hall of Fame of Faith. Read about all the great champions of faith who did such scandalous things. David had at least eight wives that we know of and cheated on all of them. David had kids strung out. David was, was a baby daddy across the planet and, and had uh, bad kids, good kids. He had kids raping their sister, half-sisters, doing all. I mean, scandal after scandal. People are like, hmm. You know, there's a, I, I heard about what's going on in the Jones family. I always assumed they didn't really love the Lord. They just playing that church game. You think scandal in a family means the family doesn't love the Lord? Man, David had all kinds of stuff going on. He had a murderer, adulterer, 
coward? You say, well, how could he be a coward? They, they, they sang his praises that, that he was a mighty warrior. Let me tell you something. Any man running from his own son is a coward. Man, if y'all if y'all on my social media, y'all saw those pictures I put up of Jacob early this morning. That boy's wearing dress blues from the United States Marine Corps. I talked to him yesterday. He, he's like, Dad, they put me on a bus uh, next week, sending me off to uh, Quantico. He said, they've been training me for five months on how to, how to kill people. Now they're going to go train me for two and a half months on, on how to beat people up. I'm like, well, good for you, son. I didn't have to tell him this because he already knows this. You better not try bringing none of that this way. But he had already told me because he tries to stay in his daddy's good graces. Uh, he told me all, all, his, all his friends because I remember being, I remember going through boot camp in the United States Army in the spring of 1986. I remember coming out of boot camp. Listen, I graduated basic training. In the spring of 1986, I was the same height I am right now. I'm 224 pounds right now. I was 151 pounds then. Oh, if you carved 73 pounds of fat off me right now, I, yeah, I'd be all chiseled up. I remember coming, funny story I ever had. I look back on this and think, man, they brainwashed me good in basic training. Boot camp was over. We'd already graduated. I went to get on the phone, called my family. This is back when they had pay phones. I, uh, do they have pay phones still? Really? You put coins in it? Or credit card? How much is it? Well, I'm mad at that. Everything in life's gone up. You can still make a call for a quarter. How many of y'all remember when you can make one for a dime? Well, I don't remember a nickel. You remember the pay phone that used to, Dina, you remember the pay phone that used to be in front of Ed White? It was right there by the front door. We used to have to call my mama. My mama would drop us off. I thank God my sister got old enough to drive and take me to high school. My mama used to drop us off at 6 o'clock in the morning. You remember that? We'd be sitting there, nobody, dark. And she used to pick us up 6 15, 6, 30, she dropped us off before she went to work, pick us up after she got off. She wasn't paying no after-school care for us. Sit on that corner. Deacon John Shumpert, who I didn't know at the time, he was the custodian at Ed White High School. When I became a member of the Potter's House Church, I, I ran into Uncle John, and, and he remembered me as that kid that was always sitting there before he got there. He'd laugh at us. Uh, Deacon John Shepard, he, he would come in. He would be opening up that school. Y'all want to sit in the library? Yes, yeah, air conditioning in there. It's hot as all day long. I don't care if it's 6 o'clock in the morning. I'm sweating out here in this humidity. Um, where are we on that? Oh, pay phones. I remember. I, I don't remember what year it was, but sometime between 1978 and 1981, that pay phone went from a dime to a quarter. But anyway, I didn't know they still had quarter pay phones. I'm going to go look for one and make a call. Uh, <laughs> huh? Oh, I'm not driving all the way out to Baldwin to make a pay. They don't have a pay phone on Avenue B? I'm going to find a pay phone. Anyway, back to the story. 
I just graduated basic training. They hadn't sent me off to, to, to my military occupational specialty school yet. Uh, and I, went, I walked down the way to make a pay, phone call, and I was pulling my cord out of my pocket, and I heard, <laughs> That's a big dog. This United States Army. Ain't one kind of dog on this installation. Big, mean German shepherd that will tear you up. And so I felt that wisdom in me. Be like, you know, you ought to tense up. You ought to tense up a little bit. But then I realized they brainwashed me good. And as, that, as my body tensed up, my mind screamed in my head, I am a lean Mean, green, killing machine. If that dog come my way, I will snatch its throat out of its neck and eat it as a snack. Because that's how you feel coming out of a basic training. And, and, and Jacob was telling me about all, all, his, all his buddies who were talking about, I, I'm going to go back home and, and, and now I'll be the man of the house. My dad thing, and, and, and Jake, I told him, mm, you won't try that with my dad. So at least they ain't brainwashed common sense out of the boy yet. Bring that 150-pound body up next to me. I told him they make weight class for a reason, son. So he, he's, he's going through all that. He's, he's about to go off. Uh, he just graduated from the school of infantry. He's about to go off uh, to uh, Quantico, Virginia, and train with the FBI and the CIA on how to... Uh, detain people and subdue people at embassies uh, when, when stuff breaks out at an embassy. I ain't scared of this boy. Now, here's a fact for you. United States Marines are the only people that guard embassies, and embassy guards receive the highest level of hand-to-hand -hand combat training of anybody in the United States Marine Corps. They have to get out there and get in the masses and throw hands with people. Let me tell you something. He can train all he wants to. They've been doing a little Marine Corps version of uh, mixed martial arts. They, they call it McMap. He's got his little judo, uh, jujitsu, Marine Corps fighting. I told him, I'll wrap that belt around your neck and choke you to death with it. <laughs> Step in my house, 150-pound boy. Hit you in the head with this baseball bat. Yeah, Semper Fidelis. I'm laughing at all the things I'm saying in my head to him. Y'all ain't going to tell y'all. Why do I say all that? Because here's the thing. What kind of grown man is hiding in a cave because his little boy is chasing him? That's David. So this mighty man of God hiding from his son, uh, especially all the evil his son did. He ought to have stepped out there and wrapped that belt around his neck. But David is a unique character in the Bible because God lets us see his success and his failure. Now, his success is to encourage us to know that God can take some messed up, jacked up dude and do great things with him. His failure is to stop all you religious people from judging saved folk. Well, I just don't know how. What, what, what would make anybody think? Uh, wave at everybody, Sonia. I'm picking on. Well, oh, mm, I heard Sonia with blah, blah, blah. <laughs> what kind of deacon wife is that? Well, what kind of king was David? 
What kind of mighty man of God was that? People want to judge somebody. You see somebody's weakness, and you try to judge their heart on that. I thank God the Bible says man, uh, that, that, that man looks on the outward appearance, but God sees the heart. David had some great things going on. He had some bad things going on. We're going to check out some stuff near the end of his life because he had just had his worst thing going on. Let me give you the backdrop for it, and we'll get out of here. David had just created, uh, committed what the Bible says is his greatest sin. It wasn't adultery, although he had done that. It wasn't murder, although he had done that. It wasn't being a bad parent, although he had done that. It wasn't in letting people down because he had surely done that. It wasn't in making bad choices because he had done that before. But the Bible says that the, the worst thing that David did was he numbered the people. If you study the, the, the Old Testament, you'll find out that David had a history with God of taking small groups and defeating larger opponents, taking a small number of warriors and winning battles that logically he should have lost because the enemy outnumbered him. And, what that, and God designed it that way so that God would get the credit. If 30 people beat up 3,000 people, it must be God or Bruce Lee or Chuck Norris. But David had that history. David killed the lion and the bear. David fought, he killed the giant, but he always was fighting larger opponents, but he didn't worry. When, if you study when David fought Goliath, he, all everybody else was hiding. And David comes out there, he was small in stature, he was a little dude, and then he was a little people. So, I mean, they're already small people. He's small people in a small people crowd. And this giant is a big man in a big man crowd. And David don't care. David stands out there, no armor on, no shield on, no helmet on. And he just, he goes at the giant. And he says, uh, who are you to defy the Lord God of Israel? He, he, he said, you come against me with a sword and a spear. I come in the name of the Lord my God. Now, let me, let me tell you this. If they try to get the heavyweight boxing champion of the world or an MMA, if they try to get a 250-pound Stipe Miocic to fight the 118-pound flyweight champion of the world, uh, he better hope he's got God on his side. I'm betting on the big man. But David had always faced these larger opponents, but always walked in confidence of God. It wasn't just that he counted how many people, because he told them, go out and find out how many warriors we're taking with us, because this is a big, it's a big army we're about to fight. It wasn't that he just counted them. It was that he let his confidence be in numbers more than in God. He let his confidence be in logic more than in faith. And this is what recorded as David's greatest sin. And because of that sin, because he stopped being confident in God and he started looking at the logic behind it. Listen, I'm going to tell you what. If you watch the news with logic, your mind will spin loose. If you watch what's happening right now in the world with just logic and without faith, you'll wonder where, where is God in the midst of all this. But God has not been shaken. God is still firmly seated on the throne in heaven. And, and that's why I tell people every four years, I don't care who wins the election. I mean, I obviously, you know, whatever. I mean, I understand civic duty and all that other stuff. But it, uh, no matter who's sitting uh, in, in the Oval Office in the White House, the, the true king of all the earth is still sitting on the throne in heaven. So David 
near the end of his life here, and he commits this, this grievous sin, the worst thing that he did. Uh, in 2 Samuel 24, uh, a few verses before the one we read at the beginning, the Bible says, so Gad. Now, Gad is an interesting person. Gad is the seventh son of Jacob, and he is the prophet that is close to David at this point. He is, the, the Bible calls him a seer or a prophet, and he comes to David representing God and says, will you choose three years of famine throughout your land, three months of fleeing from your enemies, or three days of severe plague throughout your land? Think over and decide what answer I should give the Lord who sent me. So because what David has done, God sends the man of God to David and says, you thought your strength was in people. You used to count on God. Because you've made this vile sin in the presence of God, you are going to be chastised severely for it. But God, through Gad, said, you get to pick which one of these three plagues you want. Now, I don't know which one you would have chosen, but common sense would have told the king to not choose the one he chose. Okay, let me show you why. He said, choose one of these. Three years of famine throughout your land. That would have been easy on David. Do you think three years of famine in the land affects the king or the people? The king got all kinds of food. That would have been no sweat on David at all. Three years of famine. They had, they had food backed up in cellars uh, for David, so he could have picked that. Three months of fleeing for your, from your enemies. That meant that the, the other side was going to win for three months. Well, do, do you think that would have affected the king? There was a time in David's life where he went out to battle. But if you study the timeline that we're in right now, that day had long passed. They had already made a decree that King David would no longer go out to battle. They had told David it would be better to lose 10,000 of us than one of you. And David wasn't going out to battle anymore. He could have sat in the, in the castle and just let three months of his people get killed. Or three days of severe plague throughout your land. This is the only one of the three plagues that affected rich people as much as it affected poor people. This is the only one of the three chastisements that would affect the king as much as it would affect the pauper. And David, in his own level of personal accountability, woo, that's something that doesn't happen much anymore. I had to give a Ric Flair on that because... People don't believe in personal accountability anymore. It's always somebody else's fault. It's always, it's a, oh man, I, flew, I had to do some business this week. I flew out to Texas on Thursday, flew back on Friday. It was a whirlwind. Uh, I was in Houston, I was in Dallas, and I was in Austin. If you look at the map, those places are far apart, and it was a lot going on. But when I got to Austin, which is the capital of the state of Texas, for everybody that thinks Dallas is, um, Austin is the capital of the state of Texas. I saw for the first time in person what I've been seeing on the news for the last five years or more. Tents everywhere. Drug needles everywhere. The city of Austin is the most progressive city in the state of Texas. It's the artsy-fartsy capital. It's, it's where all the, the, the rich, uh, powerful progressive people live and it is overrun with homeless encampments now as somebody who has 
lived in a tent for limited times in my life. The Army made me do it. I, I, listen, uh, we, we had somebody in our family. I ain't going to point out to you because I, I, I don't want to embarrass her. She made her children sleep in a tent this past week. That's Bliss Hayes. And I don't do tents. People are like, Pastor Scott, would you like to go camping? Yeah, at the Ritz-Carlton. Hampton Inn, at least, you know, Fairfield, give me something. with uh, These tents are set up on sidewalks. And I'm thinking, you got to be a drug addict to set a tent up on concrete. That, that, that little nylon is, 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 is thin as a sheet of paper laying on, but everywhere. Anyway, I, I, I'm in Texas. I'm, I'm doing all this traveling. I'm seeing uh, stuff about the plight of America and how bad the, the, this really is. People standing outside their tent in the middle of the daytime urinating on the sidewalk. Listen, right next to where they lay their head. We got some issues going on in America. That's got to be drug addiction, mental issues. Anybody knows the outhouse is up the street. It's not, not right. My grandfather, true story, my grandfather, it was so, it was so funny to me as a little kid uh, on my mama's side. And if you've been around, you know, my mama grew up in abject poverty uh, on a cotton farm, picking cotton, um, living on a dirt patch, living in a shack, uh, seeing snakes crawl underneath the house, through the planks in the floor, holes in the floor. Um, when they finally had a house built near the end of my grandfather's life, they had, you, you remember that sign in the bathroom, Dina, with the nickel? Yeah, it, it had a little slot, and it said, it cost us a lot of money to put this outhouse inside. Please leave one nickel. And, uh, you know, just, just a joke. My grandfather would not use that bathroom. To the end of his life, he still walked down the road to the barn because he said, what kind, what kind of indecent human being does their business eight feet away from where they sleep? Something to think about. Anybody see logic in that? I'm going to keep moving. But this, I saw the most disgusting, the, 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 what's going on in America. Listen, we got issues, say issues. We got issues all across our own land. David is seeing uh, uh, David's given his choice. He's like, what, what do you want to pick? You want to pick something that's going to just affect poor people? Or you, or you want to you put some of this punishment on you? And wildly, he put, picks the punishment, the only one of the three that could touch him personally. We have lost our way in America. People don't want to believe in personal responsibility. All the rich people in Austin are saying, all these poor homeless people are ugling up our city. And they are. All the poor people in Austin are saying all these rich people ought to give us more money. Mm. You know, we can talk about that at a later date. But listen, if you're in here and you're thinking, I'll just go homeless and live in tents on the sidewalk, don't choose that life. The Bible says if you don't work, you ought not eat. And by the sweat of your brow, you ought to make your living. But David picks this third choice. He picks the severe plague. So that's where we are in the story in the passage that I opened up with this morning. Now, remember what I always tell you in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. The Bible tells us this. Put that verse on the screen for me. Do we have it? 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says, These things happened to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. These things, what things? The, the stories in the Bible 
are examples for us who live now so we can look back and see how God dealt with them then because God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's unchanging. So as we read these stories in the Bible, we need to understand they're examples for us. Say example. Now let's get into the text. In 2 Samuel 24, 18, it says, That day Gad came to David and said to him, Go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite. So David went up to do what the Lord had commanded him. Now, if David would have lived inside verse 19, there would have never been no verses ahead of verse 19 talking about pick one of these three bad things to happen to the world. If David would have just did what the Lord commanded him, there would be no plagues. So let me find a smart person in the room that could tell us. Why are there plagues? Because people what? They don't do what the Lord told them to do. I've had people say, well, I, I just don't believe a kind and a loving God would, would do all the, let all these bad things happen. Listen, bad things happen because people make bad choices. Stop blaming everybody else for your own situation and realize if you do right, you'll get right. If you do wrong, you'll get wrong. Listen, life is hard on bad people. I've told my kids their whole lives, life's hard on stupid people. Stop making bad decisions. The Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. Every parent ought to make their children understand that verse, and every adult ought to understand it for, for their own life. The way of the transgressor is hard. Bad things come to people who choose wrong. And now, finally, after the plagues come, and this is the sad reality of the examples we have. There's blessing, then people choose wrong, then there's plagues, then there's repentance, then there's blessing. Then people choose wrong. Then it just keeps going in this cycle. And that's your own life. Think about the times in your life where you were closest to God. You felt blessed. But then you chose wrong. And, and, and then chastisement came. And then there had to be some repentance to get you back up. So we're seeing this cycle happen in David's life. He messed up. He, 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 he made bad choices. Did some bad things. The severe plague comes on the land. 70,000 people died in the first day. And now the man of God comes, tells him, go set up this altar. And David does what the Lord commands him to do. Now the threshing floor, uh, threshing is, is where they separate the wheat from the chaff. It's normally on a, on, a, on a place of elevation. And this place was in a hill country uh, where, where this uh, piece of land is. And the threshing floor is set up elevated so it can catch the wind coming. Because here's what threshing is. It's a box with a, with, with a screen in it, and you put wheat in it, and you shake it real hard, and you throw it up in the air, and the wind blows away the chaff, and the, the, the good grain settles in the bottom of the box. That's basically what threshing is and what a threshing floor does. And the threshing floor of Aruna had a big history and a glorious future coming. The history there was that it was that very place, the threshing floor. Second Chronicles chapter 3 tells us that the threshing floor of Aruna was on Mount Moriah. Now, Mount Moriah is a very significant place in the kingdom of God because that's the same hill where Abraham offered Isaac. And that's the same hill where Jesus died on the cross. And that's the same hill where the site of Solomon's temple was to be built. So one of those things had already happened. This was already a glorious place because it was that place where Abraham used the, the, the name for God that we still sing about. When you sing that song, Jehovah Jireh, my what? 
my provider. That's this place. Abraham called the name of this place Jehovah-Jireh because that's where God provided a sacrifice for him so he wouldn't have to take his own son's life. So this is the place where David finds himself. This is the place where God commands him through his manservant Gad to go to the threshing floor of Aruna and build an altar and give a sacrifice. Let's pick back up in verse 20. The Bible says, When Aruna saw the king and his men coming toward him, he came and bowed before the king with his face to the ground. Now, Aruna is an example of something that many people in America don't want to believe exists today. Aruna is an example of a rich person who's got stuff that's holy. Well, that chair was close, so I'd just sit down and let you think on that. See, we, we're being taught now uh, in schools uh, that anybody who has stuff, the, the one percenters are all evil. Well, Aruna's a one percenter. Aruna's got stuff, but he loves the Lord. Now, I will say that's rare. The Bible says not many rich people has God chosen. Don't think every rich person is evil, but, you know, be smart. Aruna is an example of a rich person. That was funny. I'm glad somebody laughed. Aruna is an example of a rich person who has some stuff and is serving the Lord. And when he saw the king and the king's men coming to him, he bowed down before the king with his face to the ground. Now, most people would do that out of fear that the king was coming to kill them. But Aruna was doing that out of respect because he had stuff and he was sophisticated and he understood proper protocol and he loved the Lord and he loved the king. And he asked the king in verse 21, Why have you come, my lord the king? Aruna asked. David replied, I've come to buy your threshing floor and to build an altar to the Lord there so that he will stop the plague. Now, I want somebody, let's pretend like we're in midweek Bible study. I want somebody to look at the last four words in this verse and tell me why David wanted to build this altar to obey God, do what God told him. He was doing it so God would what? Stop the plague. He was doing it so God will stop the plague. Now, the Bible says we have these stories for our example. If there was something David could do so that God would stop the plague, is it possible that there's something we can do so that God will stop the plague? Keep thinking with me. Let's keep watching. Let's keep reading. In verse 22, Here's what Aruna said. David told him, I came here to buy this altar from you. Buy your threshing floor, build an altar, so that God will stop the plague. Verse 22, Aruna says, take it, my lord the king, and use it as you wish. Aruna said to David, here are the oxen for the burnt offering. You can use the threshing boards and the ox yokes for the wood to build the altar. I will give it all to you, your majesty, and may the Lord your God accept your sacrifice. So Aruna's got some stuff. He sees the king. He just wants to be helpful. King's like, y'all need to use your land. Got to build an altar here. God told me to build an altar here. Aruna's like, no sweat to me, king. Go ahead. I, I got everything you need. Just take it and do what God's put in your heart to do. And I hope God accepts your sacrifice. In verse 24, David says something unique. He says, but the king replied to Aruna, no, I insist on buying it, for I will not present burnt offerings to the Lord my God that have cost me nothing. So David paid him 50 pieces of silver for the threshing floor and the oxen. 
So David has made his own world a mess. I want you to understand, stop blaming others for your mess. David took personal responsibility for his mess. He knew that it was his sin that had caused issues. If we could start realizing that it's not what others, sure others have done stuff. I've had people do stuff to me. Others have done stuff to hurt us, to harm us, to cause difficulty in our life. But I will believe this until I die. And if you don't, you will never walk in the grace of God that is prepared for you. If you don't begin to understand that the person that's causing you the most problems in your life is you, you're never going to move forward in Christ. As long as you're blaming everybody else, as long as it's somebody else's fault, as long as it's the system, as long as it's those people, as long as it's everybody but you, you don't have to change. Oh, if you won't believe me, believe God. And don't forget what Michael said. What did Michael say? I'm starting with the man in the mirror. I'm asking him to change his way. If you want to see the world, if you want to make the world a better place, take a look at yourself. And make a change. I'm telling you, everybody is passing the buck. It's more prevalent now than it's ever been. Now, you know, if you got two kids in the house, the one you're talking to never did it. And if they did it, it was the other one's fault. He started it. She touched my things. No, you touched my things. No, you touched my things. People want to blame everybody else. you got to take personal responsibility when you start taking personal responsibility you start making change in your own life everybody loves to blame somebody else when 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 adam and eve sinned in the garden the woman said it was the devil that made me do it she went all flip wilson and she said the devil made me do it when god looked at adam he said that woman that you gave me that's on you and her they ain't got nothing to do with me that's you and her handle your business that woman that you guys, y'all set me up. Blaming other people for your own problems puts you in a position where you feel justified in your lifestyle and you don't make any changes for yourself. When you realize, hey, it's the woman, it's the man, it's the devil, it's the system, it's every, the whole world is against me, but I got to make sure that I'm not complicating my own issue. Get better. If you want things to get better, then get better. If you want to, if, if you want to do better, you got to be better. And David's taking personal responsibility here. Arun is trying to make it easy on him. Now, I don't know about y'all, but if I, if I didn't know the Lord the way I knew the Lord, and, and God's like, you know, go, go buy this and offer it to me, and I got there, and they're like, hey, we got a special discount for you today. Matter of fact, we're just going to go ahead and give it to you. I'd be like, cool, give it to him. You got somebody that can load it up for me? People love to choose the course of least resistance. People love to choose the, the, the path of least personal pain. And, and David could have done that. Aruna's like, man, go on and take that. You're the king. That's nothing to me. That's, you know, I'm going to go ahead and give you all that stuff. I'll even give you the wood to, to, to burn the altar in. But the king said, no, I insist on buying it. Uh, one, 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 one other version says, I will pay a full price for it. He said, because I won't offer Anything to the Lord that costs me nothing. People want to see the world get better. People want to get out of their painful situation. People want to see their own personal condition improve. 
but very few people want to pay a price to see that happen. Most people want the government to step in and fix it. Let me tell you something. If you're counting on all this stimulus money to keep coming, if you're counting on government crumbs, you, you need to listen to what the great civil rights leader Thomas Sowell said, that if people continue to accept crumbs from the government, they'll never have a seat at the table and get a piece of the steak. Stop expecting somebody else to bail out your position. Stop expecting somebody else to pay your punishment. Stop expecting to keep blaming everybody else. Listen, until you're perfect, you got no right to blame somebody else. Until you've done every single thing that a human being could do to be everything that God said to be, then you should work on you and let God work on everybody else. People love to blame the system. People love to blame the government. Church folk love to blame the preacher. When, when Jimmy Swagger got caught doing what he was doing, People quit his church saying, I'll never go back to church anymore. Uh, that, that preacher, I've had people tell me, Jimmy Swaggart destroyed my faith. Why'd you have faith in Jimmy Swaggart? Jimmy Swaggart destroyed your faith? How? Did, when, when, when you sing that old church hymn, my hope is built on nothing less than Jimmy Swaggart's righteousness. I don't think that's how it goes. People love to blame everybody else for their own demise. Now, here's the reality. David had done some messed up things, and he's finally at a place in his life where he's taking account for his own stuff. He gets offered an easy road, and he chooses the hard road. So David paid him 50 pieces of silver for the threshing floor and the oxen. It was all a setup. David had to buy that land because that's where Solomon was going to build the temple. David had to buy that land to sanctify because that's where Jesus was going to pay the sacrifice. Your pain has a purpose. Your process is meaningful. And David's like, no, you're offering me an easy route, but I'm not going to take it. Now, Aruna had a good and a generous heart, and he wanted to give David everything he needed. But if David had accepted Aruna's offer, it would have been Aruna's sacrifice and not David's. Who do you want? to participate in your come up, the government, the pastor, everybody else, a handout. No, that's not the way. That's not the way. That's not the way of God. If you look at the way of God, you'll find out that when God shows the parable of the talents, he gave, uh, uh, he gave one, one, he gave one, three, he gave one, five. When the one, on, when the one didn't increase the one he had, he said, take it to, and give it to the one who's got the most. God honors personal responsibility. God honors hard work. The Bible says in all labor there is profit, and David wanted it to be his sacrifice. The Bible tells us that God honors sacrifice. The problem is most folk want everybody to do the sacrificing for them. Now, I thank God Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice for us because he did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. But there's some things you can do for yourself. And do you want everybody else to bail you out, or are you ready to take a good look at the Word of God as a reflective mirror face-to-face -face and say, I've got some areas in my own life that I need to get straightened out. When that begins to happen inside the body of Christ, we will see change take place that would be beneficial. David knew that, that it wouldn't be a sacrifice to the Lord if it cost him nothing. I'm going to give you some profound wisdom. We're going to get out of here. A sacrifice has to be a sacrifice. If it's easy, it's not a sacrifice. 
Most people are so used to giving God what is left over. Most people are just used to tossing God the scraps. David knew that it had to cost him something. The great theologian F.B. Meyer said, where there is true, strong love to Jesus, it will always cost you something. And I want you to understand that today. If you love the Lord, it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you some friends. It's going to cost you some stuff. It, it cost our church. When, when God showed me, when all this coronavirus started happening, the message I preached, you go back and look it up, out of Acts chapter 5. The Bible said, in Acts chapter 5, there, there was a group of the, the Lord's disciples that had been put in jail for preaching in the name of Jesus. They got out. They went right back to preaching in the name of Jesus. The officials came to the ruler and said, look, those people that we just let out of jail for preaching Jesus, they're right back to doing it again. He said, bring them to me. We were throwing them back in jail again. And he asked them, don't you think you ought to keep the law? I told you what to do. And I believe Christians should always keep the law. I believe Christians should be law-abiding people. That's what the Bible teaches, to obey every ordinance that is given by man, except when those things contradict the written word of God. And they said, we must choose to obey God rather than man. And that's the message I preached. And do you know we had lots of people leave our church because God told me. I, now listen, I never told anybody they had to keep coming. I told people, stay at home if you want to. God told me, keep the church door open. God told me to keep the church door open when the mayor said, close the church door. And people said, well, I might have to find a new church to go to because Pastor Scott's not obeying the law. Well, Pastor Scott's obeying God's law over man's law when man's law contradicts God's law because God said we must gather together on the first day of the week to celebrate the resurrection of the Lord, and that's what we do. I had pastors calling me saying, how can you put your people's lives at risk that way? I said, I'm not making anybody come. I told anybody, come if you want to. pray for. Come if you can, pray for us if you can't. If you want to show up, show up. Well, how, what, what, what about this, this? I'm like, people could die getting hit by a bus driving to work. Do y'all notice that 2020, check this out for all you stat folk, 2020 is the lowest death rate from the flu in recorded history in the United States. You know why? Because 60 to 100,000 people die every year of the flu in America, but they didn't count no flu deaths last year. They attributed them all to coronavirus. And I just decided, look, if you want to come to church, we're going to keep the church open. I'm going to be here. The only person I made come to church sitting right over there uh, with, 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 his, with his head in his hand. Uh, that's the only person I made come to church ever. Wave it, everybody, son. They're looking for you. Hire. Uh-huh. Uh, he lives in my house. He do what I tell him to do. Everybody else is told, come if you want to. And we lost, we lost members to that. I lost personal relationships with pastor friends. And, and, but, but here's the funny thing. Guess what started happening six months ago? All them churches started opening back up. All the ones that called me and told me I, 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 was, I, I, I was reckless. They opened up there. No science had changed. The death toll hadn't gone down. The virus hadn't gone away. Why didn't churches start opening back up? Here's what they said. Well, we believe God wants us to have church on Sunday. I'm like, well, welcome to the club. Glad to meet you. Anytime you take a stand for Christ, there will be a cost. You need to understand it. If you want a religion that costs you nothing, pick something other than Christianity. 
We are Christians. That means we follow the teaching and the, and, and the doctrines and the life of Jesus Christ. Do you think Jesus had sacrifice in his life? If God's plan for his only begotten son was the way of suffering and the cross, isolation, rejection, abandonment, hurt, pain, why, why do you think that everything, stop listening to these liars on TV that fit, start and finish every show would send me money. These TV shows only exist. This, this Christian TV, these preachers on TV, they exist to get your money. So they stay on TV to get your money. And I already told y'all for years, if you watch some TV preacher on television who spends any portion of his airtime begging for money so they can stay on the air to beg for more money, so they can stay on the air to beg for more money, so they can stay on the air to beg for more money, what are you doing? Now, I'm not saying every preacher on TV is bad, but what I am saying is the message that is being received by the masses, come to Jesus and he'll make all your troubles go away. That's not in the Bible. Send us $100 right now. God's going to give you a million. That's not in the Bible, and it's stupid. Sow a seed right now. Let your faith rise up and speak. Let, speak to your mountain right now. Declare in faith that you shall live and not die. Sow a $100 seed right now. God's going to give you double for your trouble. Now, there is a phrase in the Bible that says double for trouble. But it's got nothing to do with sending Prophet Bobo $100. <laughs> Let me keep moving. Anytime there is a, a difficult situation, if you take a stand for Christ, it's going to cost you something. Some of you have lost friends. Some of you have strained relationship with family members. Some of you got friends that don't understand you. Some of you give more money to God's house than you give to your own house because you believe that's what God wants you to do. Anytime you make a stand for God, it is going to cost Use something. Last verse and I'm done. Verse 25 says, David built an altar there to the Lord and sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings. And the Lord answered his prayer for the land. And the plague on Israel was stopped. David did what God called him to do. And God stopped the plague. And I promise you, we have this story for our example. And I'm not saying if you do what God called you to do, he's going to stop coronavirus. I'm not saying that if you do what God called you to do, he's going to stop the war in the Middle East. But I'm telling you this. If you do what God called you to do, he's going to bless your personal situation. The problem is most people, and I already told you, most people only want to give God the leftovers. Most people, here's the way most people think. If the church got something going on, well, you know, I'll come if I have the time. Oh, so you give God the leftovers. You don't prioritize God's time first. If, if it's convenient, you'll show up. That's why church attendance goes like this at every church in America. Because, you know, people don't have nothing else going on. They show up to church. Guess what happens? Now, it don't affect our church that much. Guess what happens to mega churches in Jacksonville and every other city in America that has an NFL team playing a home game at 1 o'clock on Sunday? Church attendance is down. Why? Football, baby. Tailgating. I can't get to the game late. Come to church late every week. Can't get to the game late. Got to show up to the game two hours early to get my tailgating in. We give God what's convenient. David said, I won't offer anything to God that costs me nothing. It's not a sacrifice. It doesn't cost you something. God bless the sacrifice. And you, you see here 
that it said David built an altar there. It takes effort to serve the Lord. It takes work to serve the Lord. David built an altar there to the, he didn't let other people do it. He did it. He got involved in his own sacrifice. And he sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings. Some, some, some math genius in the room. Tell me, how many types of offerings is that? Two. Burnt offerings. If you study offerings in the Bible, you know that burnt offerings are to atone for sin. And peace offerings are to show thanks for fellowship. The burnt offering was to cleanse for sin. Jesus made the ultimate burnt offering for us. Our burnt offering is made, but our peace offering is ongoing. If you're here and you're saved, your burnt offering has been made. Your sin has been atoned for on the cross of Calvary. But your peace offering needs to be ongoing. That, 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 that's why God said in Romans chapter 12 that we need to present our bodies a living sacrifice. If you study that offering, that's a peace offering. That's an offering that says, I want to stay in constant fellowship with you, God. David was here getting his sins atoned for, and he was reestablishing peaceful fellowship with God. And the Lord answered his prayer for the land, and the plague on Israel was stopped. I don't know what the plague in your life is. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's emotional. Maybe it's relational. Maybe it's spiritual. Maybe it's physical. But I know this. The person most responsible for it is not your mother, not your father, not the government, not the system. The person who has oppressed you most in your lifetime, regardless of what your mind might tell you, is you. Because if you got out of your own way, you could walk in the blessing of God. If you just would position yourself properly and begin to give God something that cost you something, stop having this leftover mentality. You know how much money most people give to God? What's left over that they won't miss? I got a few dollars extra this week. I'll give a few dollars to the Lord. God said, the tithe is holy unto the Lord. And you must, Jesus said in Matthew 23, you must tithe. That indicates that ought to be something that's in your budget. Most people, uh, even if they budget, they, they got the rent in there. They got the car payment in there. Well, I got to pay the rent. I got to pay Visa. I got to pay my light bill. I've been saying this for years. I'm going to say this and get out of your way. I said this when my children were in diapers, and I meant it. I'm going to pay the tithe before I buy diapers for my children. My children can pee on my floor before I steal money from God. Now, see, when you're willing to let it sacrifice something, that's when God's going to step in. He's going to answer your prayer, and he's going to heal your land. Most people, well, if I'm not too tired, I'll show up. If I have the time, I'll get involved. Uh, I, it, I'd like to give more, but I really can't afford it at this time. This is servitude from convenience, and God's looking for sacrifice. What is it that God's looking for you to sacrifice so that your situation can get better? See, preachers don't even preach about it anymore. Everybody in this room has been in church more than 30 years. We grew up hearing about three different T's. I'm going to see if anybody remembers them. Your, your, your time, your talent, and your tithe. God, God wants you to give your time, your talent, and your tithe to Him. People don't talk about that anymore. And I, I've been to pastor's conferences where they say, don't put any obligation on the people. They'll find another church where it's easier. What about that sounds like Jesus to you? I thank God Jesus didn't take the easy road. 
David didn't take the easy road. Why do you think the easy road is the better road? It's not. It's not. The old songwriter said, I'm coming up the rough side of the mountain. Why does God want you to come up the rough side of the mountain? Why can't you come up the easy side of the mountain? Because God knows we're going to slip and God knows we're going to fall. And when you slip and fall on the rough side of the mountain, there's a rock to stop you from going to the bottom. There's a tree limb to grab a hold of. And you ought to thank God he wants you to come up the rough side of the mountain. Because there's more safety on the rough side of the mountain than on the slick side of the mountain. Stop serving God out of convenience and start looking. How can I offer God something that costs me? Don't you want to do better? Don't you want to see the glory of God in the land of the living? Don't you want to see God finally step into your situation and start fixing some stuff that you've been wanting fixed for a long time? Stop putting it on everybody else. We have this story for our example. David could have took the easy way. He could have avoided the plague, but he endured it because he knew he had sinned. We've all sinned. We've all created messes in our life, and some of them we have to walk through. We all need to participate. Thank God he took care of that burnt offering to atone for our sin in Jesus Christ. If you're here and you're not saved, if you're not right with God, if you don't know for sure that you have a personal relationship with Jehovah through his son Jesus Christ, the Bible says if you will confess your sins, that God will forgive you of your sins. The Bible says if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, God will save you. Everybody believes in Jesus, but everybody doesn't believe Jesus died for their sins and raised himself from the dead. If you can believe that, the Bible says you can be saved. If you're here and you're not saved, you need to ask God to save you today. If you're here and you are saved, you need to start taking some personal responsibility and saying, you know what? I've done some things wrong in my own life. I'm going to stop blaming the government. I've done some things wrong in my own life. I'm going to stop blaming the system. I've done some things wrong in my own life. I'm going to stop blaming the preacher. I've done some things wrong in my own life. I'm going to stop blaming mama and daddy. And I'm going to be the best me I can be. It's going to cost you something. So in closing, let me ask you this. Would you rather give God something that costs you nothing? Or would you be willing to give God what costs you something? I feel like David today. I won't offer God anything that costs me nothing. You know my personal story, I broke my back twice and my neck once in the last decade. If I only came to church on days I felt good, physically, good enough to be here physically, I would never come. Well, how often does your back hurt you, Pastor? Every minute of every day. They told me my back's more messed up now from my second uh, accident than it was before the first surgery. They need to do surgery on me again. I, I just ain't released to the Lord to do surgery. I'm in a season of, of, of dealing with this. I almost, I almost picked up my phone today when I couldn't bend over to put my socks on when my back was hurting so bad. I could have picked up the phone. Elder Keon preached for me and done a great job. Elder Jimmy could have preached for me and done a great job. I could have been in my full right mind. My body's hurting too much to go to church today. I'm going to stay home. All that time on that airplane did my back no good. All that time driving from Dallas to Austin did me no good. 
I decided, you know what? God's given me breath in my body. And if I can get up to go to McDonald's to get a McChicken, I can get up and go to church. It's going to cost you something, child of God. And you ought to be happy that God has given you something to give. Maybe it's your time. Maybe it's your talent. Maybe it's your tithe. I don't know what it is, but I know this. The plague didn't stop until the Christian in the room did something that cost him something that moved on God to stop it. And I prophesy to you in Jesus' name, if you give God a sacrifice that cost you something, your personal situation will improve because that's the God we serve. Pray with me. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for loving us, God. Thank you for providing us a sacrifice in your son, Jesus Christ, to atone for our sins. God, I pray for every person in this room that's not saved. I pray that you would save them. Draw them by your spirit, God. Pour your love out on them and let them know they need true salvation. God, for every real Christian in the room, I pray that you would allow us to realize that the way of suffering is the way of Christ. And give us a heart like David. Let us be willing to give you what costs us something, knowing that you gave us what cost you everything. God, you died for us. Empower us to live for you. Thank you, God, for each person that's here. I pray that you would touch every hurt and every pain, physical, mental, spiritual. God, I pray that you would increase us so that we could make you famous throughout the earth. Thank you, God, for loving us. Thank you for forgiving us of all of our sin. Help us, God, to rejoice in this day that you've made. We love you, God, and we choose your way today. And we give you honor through your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast. And visit us on the web at aocfnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to aocfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people.